the people from Myanmar, we have been living in under the military regime for over half century and our education system, health and all economics sector has been left behind our neighboring country. And if I am not committed now, there is no hope for my generation and myself. I'm a freedom fighter with article. I can say I'm not using a gun, but I'm a freedom fighter with article that's to influence, uh, to share the story to the world, what's happening in Myanmar. In Chinste, many village or many city like us, like my village, still remaining without access to school or healthcare. And in some of experience, why the Chin people has been, um, I, if I say systematically discriminate, I work in the government for almost three and a half years, and there is no option for me promotion because. I am an ethnic Chin and I belong to Christian. In some area, people do not have rice and I heard about one sack of rice by 20 kg is almost $100 because of no rice. So everything is like increasing expensive. And even to buy, even they have money, they can't buy no rice because it's been a month, it's been a, almost not just one or two days because it's been systematically blocking, blocking, cutting the resources. Let the people hungry, let the people die from starvation. That's the strategy that the military. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you listen to this podcast with me, Jess, Anna, and Mariko. Welcome to Voicey Podcast by BBC, a podcast dedicated to highlight the stories around cross-cutting human rights issues across East and Southeast Asia. This podcast is an initiative of BBC Network, better engagement between East and Southeast Asia. Voicey Podcast, the voice of East and Southeast Asia. On the 1st February 2022, we commemorate a year of the coup that happened in Myanmar. Shortly, on that day, back to 2021, the military detained the leaders of the National League for Democracy and other civilian officials. Commemorating the coup means commemorating the struggle of the people in Myanmar. And we are really sorry that the people of Myanmar right now are living under the repression of the Tatmadaw. And this episode is also a part of our solidarity with the people in Myanmar. Yes, and while in the last episode, we had a conversation with the ambassador of NUG to the ASEAN. Today, we would like to have a conversation focusing on the people on the move in and out of Myanmar. And together with us, we have Tuol Son Kai a PhD fellow from the Department of Sociology and Social Policy, School of Graduate Studies at Ling Lingnan University, Hong Kong. Kai is from Myanmar and has conducted many studies on the people on the move and migration issues. So welcome to Voicey Podcast, Kai. Would you like to tell more about yourself to the listeners? Thank you so much for inviting me to this podcast. And good morning, good evening, or good um, afternoon, all the listeners. 
My name is Duo Son Kai. You can call me Kai B. I am originally from Chin State, Myanmar, the border of India. And before I studied PhD in sociology and social policy in Lingnan University, I worked in the public sector in the government for over three and a half years in the Ministry of Agriculture, Livestock and Immigration. And then I, I resigned from the government service and I work in the NGO in human rights for almost one year. And now I am a PhD student and my research area focus on migration, refugee, and also the climate change and health policy. Thank you, Kai, and welcome to, to this podcast and really nice to have you. Um, so as you introduced yourself, that um, you're doing extensive research, especially recently I've read a lot of your work um, on migration issues and you've written so many articles, not only academic journals, articles, but also you're writing a lot for mainstream media outlets to tell the situation of people on the move, uh, including internally displaced people or refugees and migrant workers so i would like to know you know about the focus areas more that you've told us about and you know what why are you so committed working on these issues the people from myanmar we have been living in under the military regime for over half century and you know our education system health and all economics sector has been left behind our neighboring country and if i am not committed now there is no hope for my generation and myself. And this is the time that we have to fight and we cannot wait somebody to fight for this uh, crisis. The second thing why I'm committed is I am someone who is better than some people in my country. Why I say this because I have the privilege to study abroad. I have the knowledge that I can contribute for the people. So I am fighting, I'm a freedom fighter with article. I can say I'm not using a gun. But I'm a freedom fighter with article that's to influence, uh, to share the story to the world, what's happening in Myanmar and what's going on in Myanmar. Great. So you're, no, that's, that's really great to hear. And, you know, I can, I can see in your writings, that's so strong, a lot of advocacy work coming out. So it's really great to know. Um, so you're doing, at the moment, what is your focus area on your PhD research? Uh, at the moment, my focus area is the Burmese migrants in Thailand. What is the challenge for them to become a document migrant worker? And what's the challenge to get healthcare in Thailand? The challenge is because of, uh, I, as far as I try to understand, because of a very complicated procedure in Myanmar as far as in Thailand. And I try to find a gap where it's missing in order to, you know, uh, bridge the gap in Thailand. There is no statistic, but assumption that more than 3 million labor, unskilled laborer from Myanmar, estimated like over 2 million are supposed to be undocumented or irregular migrant. So they do not have any access to social protection, healthcare, but they contribute a lot. You know, like Thai also receive a lot of contribution from this labor. At the same time, my country, Myanmar, also receive um, contribution, you know, for, for many economics especially for the left family education, help the people, the, the family member at home. So I think we should not, for, we cannot forget them, these people, they have the right to live, they have the right to exist, health care, uh, especially protection in their destination country. 
Right, right. Thank you, Kai, for your um, such a great introduction of yourself. Uh, just like <laughs> already mentioned earlier, that um, Kai's focus on um, people on the move in general, and more specific about migrants, about uh, refugees, asylum seekers. Uh, I would like to ask about um, the military coup amidst the COVID-19 crisis and the continuing unrest human rights violation as well as humanitarian crisis in Myanmar have forced many people to flee home. The number of IDPs has now reached over 800,000 people and over 1 million people have fled the country according to the UNHCR. Uh, I would like to hear from Kai, what is an overview of IDPs in Myanmar and people fleeing to neighboring countries during the crisis, including their living conditions and how they are surviving. Would you like to elaborate things to us, Kai? Actually, the number is um, increasing every day. Even before the military coercion, over 500,000 people has been displayed as IDP before the military coup because there is a intensive fight in like a chain in my in my area like Chin State, Aragon Army and the military and also in, in some part in Xi'an State. So, Even before the military call, especially my area is having, you know, the biggest IDP. After the military call, the has been intensifying, you know, across the country, and especially the militaries are attacking on the existing the IDP cap. A lot of IDP cap has been targeted, attacked with a heavy, heavy guns. Those existing IDP have to run as well. The same time, a lot of new displacement. Like the first displacement started after the military coup is in from in from my area to Chinsta in Manda Township, because the armed resistance fight with the military began from my area, and the military start shooting the whole village, so they have to flee. Most of them flee in the like their farm, you know, and in the surrounding area without shelter, especially in the raining season, they are having a lot of problem. No access to clean drinking water. Okay, no access to a proper food. Uh, even the Indonesia are supposed to the uh, IDP in Mandat. The military denied them in. So that's the situation in like overall in some area. And also the situation in some area is like in in Kachin or in Kachin or Akai. Last year we have a very heavy rain. Some parts flooding. A lot of IDP. Encounter those flooding as well without protection amid the the pandemic, and many IDP kept experiencing um, COVID-19 symptom, but there is no proof that they are infected because there is no access to the medical COVID test. People are also dying there. Even the UN report mentioned that there are some positive cases, but there is a big unknown number, and now. If you if we just look at the overall situation right now, many places now the Omicron cases, the transmission of the Omicron is very fast in some of healthcare. Many people are suffering this symptom, but health protection. The same time in some area also reported a kind of diarrhea, you know, because of no proper drinking water or green drinking water, no proper food, and also it's also in some area also reported a kind of you know. People are dying, especially the elderly people are dying because of 
no access to healthcare and medicine. So that's the situation. And also in some area, because of the military is using a strategy, forgot strategy to cut the food. The military trying to cut the supply, food, information, all this area. This has been the, the military has been using these uh, focus strategies since the uh, 1962, the uprising of et- different ethnic armed groups uh, in order to, you know, block all these ethnic armed from fighting with them. So people are lacking access to food, medicine, or supply even now in the winter, clothes warm clothes even even now over 400 houses been burned today just on today in in palaya township and now the fight is still on, ongoing near my home my just mom just called me there to pray for them and the electricity the electricity has been cut off because of the fight is going on and and like heavy the heavy weapon i think attacks the the electric tower so i think they may have no electricity around two or three days until the fight is uh later it's like decline nobody is <laughs> there to fix the electricity right now <laughs> amid the fight so they may not have electricity one or two day and i want to mention here is that the military is using airstrike on the paper intensively and according to the report more than two hundred thousand display because of these attacks. Sorry to hear that about your people. I think it's implied that the situation has worsened because of the pandemic and more so when the coup happened. And we're really sorry that happened to the people, the refugees and the IDPs. Yeah. Uh, I want to mention one thing is about uh, before the military coup, uh, like in in some area, there is a refugee gift, and the war food program has been supplying them. Like uh, every month, a supply of like seven dollar for mm-hmm. each household, and some uh, and also there are some volunteer help worker from like uh, Red Court or some different NGO. But after this military call, all this supply has been cut off. The war food also cannot operate uh the supply and a lot of people are in 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 hunger you know mm-hmm. according to like the according to the un reports over six million are people in need but the people in need is 14 million and they target now 6.2 million in order to deliver health emergency almost 20 percent of the population in Myanmar. so i think um uh ambassador bo mentioned this but what are your perspectives or like your thoughts on what the energy has done in the context of humanitarian aspects oh uh, yeah this is uh, interesting but uh the NUG or ncu nc the NUCC, because the uh, NUG is the exile government for us but we don't use that exile the media uses but for us it's the legitimate government the only legitimate government of myanmar because it's formed by all the elected member and in some of humanitarians is very limited i mean they can operate openly okay but they may send humanitarians support to different affected area but they cannot review this support come from enzuyi for example in the last year in august especially when the some displays 
internal display returned from India to my area because of the Indian have the Delta variants and people return from India to my area and my area every day like over 100 people die. The health system has collapsed, no oxygen, no healthcare. The Nzuji, I also talk with them. They want to send the medical doctor, the those who are CDM, right? medical health worker who are joining the civil disability movement, the CDM movement. They have resources, but to send them to to send them to Myanmar, uh, not Myanmar, to send them to my area, they need a protection for these people. The second time, the second, they can't send the human resources. They want, they still want to send money for buying stuff. But the problem again, some church or some community community uh, organization are afraid to receive the money from the Nzuzi because if they are identified by the spying from the military, they will be raised, you know, because sometimes even there is no proper information because of assumption the military is attacking a lot of community health uh, worker and also community health isolation center. So there is restriction for operating. But so far as I know, the Nzuji is helping as much as they can, but the limitation also the Nzuji is is just a new form government and limited budget, you know, very limited budget, still raising the funding by itself from the, with the people from diaspora and also within Myanmar. So limited budget, limited uh, capacity to operate and they have to uh, be very vigilant to high in terms of operating the humanitarian services. Well, thank you for explaining that. Um, it, it you know it gives us a clearer picture uh, from our previous conversation with Ambassador Bo, uh, you know, who tried to explain to us also about the NUG and NUCC has you know been working together with you know different ethnic groups uh, in both area, particularly in terms of uh, creating and setting up the humanitarian assistance delivery. Um, mechanisms but you know you, with your explanation it's you know it becomes more clearer that actually it comes from you know a lot of individual contribution from the diaspora communities as well so yeah really thank you for that explanation i also wanted to ask you a bit more about this border area situations uh you know we learned a lot about the the situations in myanmar um india border where you come from and you know, as you're from Chin State, you know, which share border with the northeast region of India, which is another region with very, very, you know, unique and complex histories that you, you share a lot among yourselves. Um, so we want to learn more about that. So if you could tell us a little bit about Chin State and Chin people, um, including historical background and the current situation that you've, you know, briefly mentioned to us already. Just because we understand that Chin State has very complex histories and you know hugely impacted by the wars and colonialism and all that you know military ruling in the previous decades, um, not just recent years. So you know, could you tell us a little bit about that so we and our listeners can understand the context that you're you're talking about? Okay, thank you so much. Um, I'm happy to share um, about a brief story of Chin's. 
Actually, the Chin people has been living independently. Uh, we are not part of Burmese world. We are not part of India. If I say before the British colonization, there is no uh, the unions of Burma. The unions of Burma was formed by the British. We have a village chief. So, but we we were ruled together with the Indian during the British colonization. And when we are going to um, take independent we, from the British, we take together with uh, Burma, uh, the unions of Myanmar, you know, Burma is not Myanmar yet. Burma, Aung San, because the Aung San, the father of Aung San Suu Kyi, the general Aung San, he come to Chin State and mobilize the Chin leader to fight again with the British. And we fight the British, uh, the forming, if I say the forming father of Myanmar was, uh, Myanmar were four, four members by Chin. Chin, we have a, uh, the independent agreement. Chin, leader, Xi'an, Kachin, uh, so Burma, and so Chin, we live in the mountain area, and but Aung San, the father Aung San Suu Kyi was assassinated before we have officially independent. So after the independence of Myanmar, the Penlong Agreement for self-determination or self-autonomy has been broken. The promise of the agreement has been broken and we are systemic, uh, if I say very briefly, we, the Chin people, not only the Chin, other members as well, but mostly the Chin uh, people has been left behind for a century, half a century, systematically. So our, my, my, my state, Chin state, remain the poorest state in Myanmar. If I say honestly, like, according to the, according to the, the, the World Health Report from Chin state, in Myanmar, uh, in Chin state, the health system, like, so the health system has been very poor. I come, I grew in Chin State in 1992 when I was born to until 2002. Uh, but my village do not have school. So still remain the same situation. My village do not have school, but my my parents have taught that if I don't have education, I will be like them. So my parents decided to migrate. This is the reason I started doing now my migration. I, my parents started to migrate to other city. The language that we never know, because very complicated culture also. We migrated to other city that we never been, that we never know. There is no relative, no. The language is absolutely different. Then we study when I finish high school, uh, middle middle school. There is no high school again. My parents say we have to move another city. So in order to move another city and study my high school in other village also, after we moved from Chin State, my father in 1992, no, in 2002, he went to Malaysia as undocumented. Uh, by the time there is no, by that time there is no document or MOU process, it's not existed. So he worked in Malaysia for until 2004, until then he come back then we moved to another city then you know poverty is still remain we have no income we have to go to school because i have four siblings and the income is not sufficient for our living so my father had to go again migrant and in thailand so my father worked in thailand for four years until i graduate from my undergraduate uh 
degree. So this is also one of the my motivation factor for doing a research on migration and all these refugee. So, so until today, in my village, we do not have high school. We we have middle school. Last year, uh, the NLD, the the civilian government, uh, give give us a school for high school last year. So, Chinstay in Chinstay, many village or many city like us, like my village, still remaining without access to school or healthcare. And in some of experience, why the Chin people has been. Um, I, if I say systematically discriminate, I work in the government for almost three and a half years, and there is no option for me promotion because I am an ethnic Chin and I belong to Christian. Because of the Burmese uh, denomination, since 1962, after the first military coup, you know the 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 the, the, the military leader that time is Ni Win, uh, he formed the. Burmese way to socialization or Burmese way to Burmanization. One Burmanization is to dominate. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. to dominate all the people into yeah. Burm is a Burmese, and yeah. also Buddhism promotion of Buddhism. Yeah, language and religion as well, I guess. Every yeah. everything. Uh, mm -hmm. In Chinste, a lot of church church has been destroyed uh, during the before the and the 2010 before the Uteng Sing, uh, the first uh, democratic, like I can say, experiment transition. In before that, the a lot of church area has been confiscated by the military, and also they build the Buddhist uh, pagoda after they remove all these churches. If you are Chin, you can work in the government sector, but maybe if you are very much intellect or very much uh, professional. You can be a official, but never be a director general or director. It's not easier for us. So the reason I also resigned from my office is because of I belong to Chin. After two years, after two years working in the government, for us, you have the right to uh, study abroad because of the when I start working in the government, the, the my country just opened for democratic experiments. So we have a lot of uh, international cooperation, like in Japan, like JICA, uh, in Korea, Quika, and all these ADB World Bank. They come to our department organization, and every year they 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 take two. I mean, they sponsor two stuff for capacity building, but there is. Never, never for me, no, never, because of they don't want me to be, to take this opportunity. So I have to stagger myself. I have to resign. This one of the uh, systematic discrimination. This is the same with me. My uncle as well. He he's very intellectual, but he have to resign from a deputy director. He cannot be director. That is a lot of systematic discrimination in some of job, in political participation as well. And the Chin people are very poor, but we are very honest. <laughs> so let's talk about what's happened uh, after the military call on the Chin people. I think this might be interesting. So when the, the fight starts, 
uh, one of uh, one the military corps started uh, co co happened in Myanmar. The armed resistance start from as I mentioned earlier, Chin State. It's not the people are aggressive because the the military shoot randomly the people who are on the street and the people have to defend themselves they have to protect themselves and so far you know the military sent his army over 1000 or even including tang you know tang to my area chin state they want to capture chin state uh before new year actually before christmas but it wasn't subsist and the fight is still intensified until today with the Chin National Front or we have now um, 25 uh, resistant armed force after the military call. It's like people have to make a team or armed force within their community or village or uh, township. Before the military call, we have only the Chin National Front, CNF. But now the, the CNF cannot cover everywhere. Everywhere need to be protected by self protection. We need it. so we have to form ourselves. So we have now more than twenty five arm arm group, and the military intentionally bomb the. As I want to mention to Tan Tan, uh, township, and uh, you may see us in the news that over over nine hundred houses has been burned, and now over twenty five time being attacked, burning and burning, and the whole village. Over twenty thousand people from this village have to not the village that the city Tantang Township the city have to flee to India border, and also the military um, one day come to change the they will randomly or intentionally get your village poultry a kind of like you have for example pig cow chicken they will just get it they will kill for their meal they will just eat they don't care. Um, the people property, you know, they will raise your house. They get the money, whatever you have. If you have the right, the rain, the gold, everything is will be gone inside your. And I just want to mention is about the what's happening in Matupi. Uh, in after New Year on on February, uh, in January seven, you know, the military adopted the villages, including the local journalist or reporter. Then 10 of them adopted and the next day they were killed all of them in one place. Uh, it's a kind of uh, massacre, you know, massive killing. The other thing what I want to mention in my area is in last year, the military come to the, when the, when the military send the troop from Kale Township to the highway to Didim, Falam, Hakka in those area. Around the side, they burn some like villages. There are some villages on the, along the roads, like 20 house, 50 house. They will randomly stay in those church or school. Then before, when they leave, they burn some house. When they leave, they burn somehow. And also the military troops use a kind of uh, if I say sexual violence as a weapon, you know, in Akloi, it might be hard for you to understand. One of the village in Chin State, close within the Tidim Township, they rev 
a woman who just give a bath not more than one month ago and they put the guns to their husband and let them wash uh, they they just let our husband to wash and they rap one by one is a, a kind of game wreck and that's also happened to other in others other village um, but this is the reports from the also the report from the Chin Human Reorganization as well. The problem now is the CDMR, the teacher and the health staff, especially the teacher, some school teachers, university teachers who join the CDM movement are being uh, attacked every day. And the internet has been cut off in many places in Chin State until today. And because of the the forecast strategy, the forecast strategy in some area, people do not have rice. And I heard about one sack of rice by 20 kg is almost $100 because of no rice. So everything is like increasing expensive. And even to buy, even they have money, they can't buy no rice because it's been a month, it's been a almost not just one or two days because it's been systematically blocking, blocking, cutting the resources. Let the people hungry, let the people die from starvation. That is the strategy that the military, especially they also target the people, but they target also the military, uh, the armed force. For example, now last, last, last year, some international organization also want to donate some kind of rice we cannot deliver rice from the city to those area. The military will, will get all the rice. They will even kill you. They will say, you say this rice for the villages, they will never believe you. They will always accuse you that you bring this rice for this armed group. So that's why we have to distribute humanitarian support from border like Mizoram, the Indian border, what we mentioned, Mizoram border. So again, in Mizoram, uh, after the New Year's, over 10,000 has been displaced. And according to the report, even from the UNACR, over like 30,000 people has been displaced to Mizoram border. That is 20% of the population of Chin, Chin population. And I saw the news from the Mizoram state chief government that they because the Mizoram chief uh, chief minister mentioned about they are going to give identity to around ten thousand uh, Chin refugee in Mizoram. But I saw also a lot of criticism from the public as well, you know. So and the, the Indian government also officially did not um, endorse welcome refugee or display from Myanmar. Bef uh, when, the, when, the, when the fight started and people start displacing, the Indian governments, especially on the, the, the border of Mizoram, they deported back. But Mizoram state government mentioned that these people are our brother and our sister. We cannot acknowledge their suffering. So the state government is taking responsible, accountable and helping until today. And now also they started a kind of, uh, I think previous day ago, a com community health center uh, for the people uh, to give 
healthcare in Mizoram, in the border area. So that's the, the situation right now. And the Omicron is increasing and the military is still prohibiting wearing masks because using the COVID-19 as a weapon to kill or to, you know, uh, to fight its people because uh, wearing masks protect COVID-19, but the military do not want you to cover your face because of there are some incident uh, explosion in some area. But sometimes all this happen intentionally by themselves. They will do it, then they will blame. They will portray you that the people are terrorists. That's their strategy. So it's not easy to live in Myanmar. I just I, I just explain you now, but actually I don't know how to explain you much. Uh, just I explain you from the secondary source when I talk with my parents and my friends. Now a lot of my friends are asking me for help. Also like to apply for scholarship, they want to leave the country because the military is trying to impose a compulsory military service for two to three years in within this year. So especially for the young people, uh, no future. You know, Kai, thank you so much for sharing all this because like for me, you know, knowing with my very limited knowledge about the context, but knowing that how, you know, the, the region has got so much complex histories and and sort of multiple marginalizations and prosecutions and all that things. Uh, but it's just so little information that we can get to. And I was a bit worried that, you know, asking you to explain it briefly is not easy because it's so fine, much. Fine. And, and, you know, like how you have shared the story and histories and the backgrounds, but including your personal stories and your family's you know, stories um, with all this, you know, I'm sure that a lot of things are not easy to, to discuss. So I'm really, really appreciating your sharing. And Okay. Um, yes. After what you have explained, what you have mentioned, I remember that on the beginning, you said that this is, part of your way to fight right yes it's a fight you 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 fight through your writing you you fight through your articles you fight through your journals and after this long yet fruitful conversation and you have explained and mentioned a lot of things related to the current situation in Myanmar and with all the risks you know with all the risks under this repressive regime of Tatmadaw, you and many other people still doing the struggle right now, right? Surely there are very strong reasons, you know, for you guys to keep doing it. And I'm sure there are also very strong hope behind all of this struggle. And that's what I would like to ask you. What is the future that people of Myanmar, or at least you, that you hope to be? What kind of imagination of Myanmar that exists in your hope? Yeah, uh, the future that I hope is hard to mention now because actually the first day of the multi call, I try not to cry, but I think I cry for at least one hour. Before I come to study in Hong Kong, I have a plan that um, I want to 
study, then I want to have my own like private institutes or research center and help the people in Myanmar uh, a kind of uh, uh, offerings, uh, social science, liberal human rights, environment, and doing research to help the governments, like policy research to help the governments uh, work, contributing for the government and the people. But all this is will not be impossible in this uh, circumstance. But what I hope is that uh, this Liberty Core is also opportunity for the people in Myanmar if we look at it from another perspective. Um, because the people in Myanmar has been fighting for self-determination or self-autonomy, including my uh, my region, especially like Kachin or Karin, all this region we have been fighting for, uh, sacrificing our life for self-determination, federal state. And we hoped the Aung San Suu Kyi, she might be able to, you know, satisfy the ethnic uh, people, you know, desire or, you know, dream because of she's the, the, the daughter of the general Aung San. However, she also have a kind of strategy. She don't want to, she doesn't want to have this confrontation. That's why she uh, chose the purse for reconciliation and try to make peaceful transition in every step, slowly and slowly. That's why all the ethnic armed group pay attention to her and did not uh, make any attack. So far in Myanmar, civil war has been last for over 17 years, but no ethnic group attacks to the military. The military only come and attacks to the ethnic armed organization or the area that we live. However, this could happen and we have no choice. Maybe this is the opportunity to fight what we did for, what we are looking for, what we are dreaming for. The same time, what's opportun the, uh, the opportunity is we, the ethnic minority or ethnic armed organization was seen as a rebel and like a betrayer of the, the country before the military coup, if I say honestly. But after this military coup, a lot of people has been displaced. A lot of young people have the choice to um, training to fight back uh, the military because there is no choice. Protesting on the street peacefully, no option. The military is using sniper, even sniper to shoot the protester. All these people who who may have say, okay, ethnic group are just for their own business or their own um, desire for, you know, common, their own business, I can say, yeah, own business. But they have to come to different ethnic group get arm training. They have to take review on this ethnic group. They come to understand the ethnic arm organization are not a betrayer of the country. They come to understand what we believe, what we have been fighting for. That is one thing that's the opportunity. The same time, if we look at from another perspective of not the ethnic group, but the people, when we talk about some rise in Myanmar, the people, the the Burma, the Burma, the majority, they say, we have given you equal right, but they don't know the systematic, the hidden agenda in every every sector that we are facing. Now they come to understand all these factors. So I believe this fight will be subsist, 
but it may take time. A lot of sacrifice will be there and everybody have to walk from, as I mentioned, I'm a freedom fighter with Artica. Some people will be a freedom fighter with their own uh, expert area. Some people may be social influencer. Okay, they may use a different kind of method. Some people may be joining the armed group to fight. Some people may be using writing article like me, talking with different media. So we all have to work uh, from where we can work together for one common goal. So I think after this um, battle, okay, over, I think we will have a very peaceful society, harmony and understanding each other. Uh, if I say honestly, um, when the Rohingya crisis happened around 2016-17, I advocate for their right as well. But a lot of comments that I received in my Facebook are very ugly until today. Some people maybe may not want to see again what they have written in my comment. Because, you know, even the NLD government, a lot of leaders, ignore the suffering of minority, including the Rohingya. And after this, after this military coup, even the NLD let this, I can say the NGG government also officially apologize the Rohingya community for acknowledging their suffering or their plight during the five years, if you, you know, doing when they have a power, the NLD have a power. So I think there is bad and good, but the bad thing is, uh, the worst thing is people are going to sacrifice their life more and more because the military do not have, do not mind to kill people. They want to threaten the people, frightening. First, they want to try frighten you to afraid so that you can't fight them back because you will be mentally demoralized. No? Yeah, mentally. So this is their strategy. Mm. And using the military is now using airstrip. Yesterday, they used thing, you know, thing. Civil war using a lot of, even the civil war. Yeah, if I talk about the civil war, the international community mentioned civil war. They are afraid for civil war. We have been facing civil war for over 17 years. They don't know the concept and the situation anymore. That's the problem again. Military do not mind to kill the people. They will just do whatever they want uh, to get their power remain because a lot of business are under the military to control. The people in Myanmar will fight until they got this freedom because Myanmar, we, if I say very honestly, the Myanmar is very rich in some resources. Jay, diamond, gas, okay? Uh, for example, right rice we the country who is exporting rice to different country but the people in Myanmar have no enough rice to eat jay diamond all this very rich exporting people do not have a proper house only 30 percent of the people in Myanmar have electricity access to electricity but Myanmar is exporting electricity to neighboring country my mom told me about a lot of drug is um like the Philippines, very easy to get drugs. So the young people' future is very miserable. People do not have self control. Young people who do not have self control, they can just get one smoke for the smoking. Maybe there are some drugs, like opium, opium for example. Opium. 
they can just get they can just get with maybe half dollar some people are taking this military code for their own business especially for the drug lords or the drug dealer so that's the thing that we also have to fight so the military prohibit the supply of rice and stuff but they don't care about the supply of drugs maybe maybe one thing that we have no evidence but uh most of the drug leader are associated with the military so in kachin area many young people are using drug because kachin state is very rich in some of resources the military want to kill or destroy this young generation so that they can occupy these resources you can even get the drug from the next door of the police station because this is a systematic a systematic planning to destroy generation so imagine you live or you die the same you are living in that you know maybe if you live under this military you may be living but there is no meaning for you, for you. i mean you are just living that you know living that so this is like a fish out of water you may be a fish out of the water under the sun or the sun might be this is the suffering that you may understand <laughs> so yeah that's very very powerful kai um thank you so much just very last question from us just you know you've already delivered really really strong message to our listeners i just wanted to ask because you know we we're trying to build solidarities in the regional civil society actors what is your message to us and our listeners that we can do you know that's you're explaining we can fight in our own way so what would you suggest to us i understand the international community or civil society you know limitation we all have limitation in some of financially or resources or human capacity to intervene or help but you know one thing that i want to request to all the international or civil society is about to impose sanction to not to fight for sanction first and foremost is sanction to the military business this and emerge urgently we want the international to help stop the the flow of supply you know arm uh, arm arm supply the second is about the flow of uh aviation flow i mean like for the for the jet flight they have the the flow right the gas that they use for the, so that should be stopped immediately because of uh because of the air air, air state over to, over 200,000 people has been displaced according to the report so people should not be treated like this and also the international community and the un including they need to help to maybe recognize or to impose one thing is that uh the international community can provide as i mentioned earlier from using border area uh humanitarian humanitarian support about now emergency like health health hair issue and for children education cannot be forgotten because this revolution may we don't know the few how long it may be if the children who is supposed to study five years and now if the this crisis end after 10 year what is the future for this generation so we need to have education uh, we need to provide the children the idp 
education. So that can be done in refugee camp. So if one one there is a, a safe flying, safe flying is designated, there is no bombing to the IDP area. They can start the a building a shelter for education of the IDP. Then education can be delivered there, and international support with the international support. So we can we need to have that education system. The second is for the displaced student. A lot of protester student leader are displaced, and the military still even arrest their father mother as a human shape. So I want to request uh, the international community to provide scholarship short term, long term for education to prepare for the future after the fight after the fight we have to rehabilitation is going to be a big complicated again yeah i i think that you have already mentioned a lot of important things that should be underlined or should be highlighted yeah mm. and i also remember that you already asked the people to fight in their own way just like you did on just like you do on your writings on your articles on your journals that you fight in your way and you ask people to also fight in their way and i hope this is uh, this episode of podcast can be considered as a part of how we the bbc helping the fight process you know and i really I'm sure, uh, me personally, and I'm sure Mariko, I'm sure Anna also stand uh, in the same side with the people of Myanmar that we are agree that this thing should not be happen anywhere, anytime, you know. And we are with the people of Myanmar, and I think we have to applause, we have to give applause, yeah, to this conversation, such a fruitful one. And thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, and to you listening to this podcast, um, follow us in our social media accounts at BBC Org in Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to know more about us and to stay updated. We also do campaigns to raise awareness about different human rights issues like this one in Myanmar. So that's it. Thank you for listening for today's episode, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Thank you.